Hey, this is Mark A. Altman. And if you like Inglorious Trexperts, you'll love Disco Nights, the new Star Trek Discovery podcast hosted by Chase Masterson, featuring special guests every week. Don't miss it every Thursday night, wherever you listen to podcasts. Uh, this is not Bill Shatner, but if you like the 430 movie, you'll love Inglorious Trexperts, available wherever you listen to the 430 movie. You might even find out what God needs with a starship. It's the podcast for Star Trek fans with a life. Back in the 70s and 80s, before the advent of VHS, chances are if you saw a classic movie, it was on the 430 movie. With their famous theme weeks, it was a chance to see movies you never saw before and get reacquainted with some old classics. So join us now for the 430 movie. Hey, this is Mark. <laughs> this is, I was lost in thought there for a second. I was on the Frontier Trail, Pilgrim. This is uh, Mark A. Altman, and welcome oh to Go goodness. West, Western Week. Yep, yep, yep. So, uh, <laughs> hey, partner. Uh, I'm so glad to hear me with my amigos uh, as we go west. Uh, <laughs> Holy cow. Okay. Welcome. We recorded a lot of podcasts today, um, and I'm here with uh, Cowboy Darren. Howdy. I'm here with uh, scout and eagle guide, Stephen Melching. Hey there. And uh, over here, I got the mysterious stranger, <laughs> Ashley E. Miller. Yippee-ki-yay, motherfuckers. Hey. Hey, you haven't gotten the idea of this. It's westerns. Oh. It's westerns, uh, like but the old west. Isn't John McClane a cowboy? It's like when the Brady Bunch <laughs> went to that old western town. <laughs> or, you know, perhaps you remember the great Batman villain, Shame. Yes. yes. Played by Cliff Robertson. <laughs> now you're getting the idea. Uh, he looks like a rustler to me. <laughs> wow, I'm excited. You know, because westerns are a genre, sadly, that don't get a lot of love these days. And it was once the genre... Of choice, all the great filmmakers were making westerns right. for the most part. Uh, it, it was dominating movie screens, particularly when you were playing a, a and a, a, you know, two two movies, a cartoon, a newsreel. You know, westerns were everywhere. Whether it was Poverty Row B pictures or, or A pictures, um, some of our greatest directors uh, were associated with making westerns. People like, of course, John Ford and Howard Hawks and Willie Wyler. And uh, it's so great that you know we could honor the Western this week. Um, I think a lot of people, you know, in a way, people say that the Marvel movie superhero genre, science fiction before that, supplanted the Western. And I hope we can, uh, you know, if, if somebody's not a Western aficionado, may point out some great movies that they should see. Um, or if you are, revisit some old classics, as Darren said in the introduction. Our job is simple. We curate a week of fantasy, uh, a theme week of, 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 cla- of movies that we recommend on our um, TV station here. Uh, <laughs> it has no antenna. TV station of the mind. It's, yeah, it's so the uh, TV station There's of the no mind. There's no antenna. There's no gate. There's no stockade. <laughs> we control the horizontal. Welcome we to the channel Rurapente. Rurapente. <laughs> asteroid. It sounds really painful. <laughs> well, you know, and, you gotta uh, have that checked. I'm. I'm. I'm Can I, we I, get through one of these episodes without a Star Trek reference? No, cool? but I. I know she changed your shirt. I do. And you have the the look at that great 430 movie logo wear. 
I God, designed it's so beautiful. Dar- designed by Darren Docterman. That's an homage of Conan. to Conan. Yeah. Um, Ready to kick ass in highly Hyborian ways. And I, and I will explain how it ties into my pick in a moment. Oh, John oh. Milius? No. Okay. <laughs> but good uh, all right, then. So, well, Steve, let, you know, Make since you, you bring bring it up, um, uh, you know, you, you grew up a lot in the West. Uh, you were in Colorado. Yeah, yeah you? no, and, and my father was a big uh, Western uh, fan, uh, you know, obviously, as you mentioned, westerns were huge on television and in the movies, in the especially in the fifties and sixties. Uh, so all of us grew up in the in a time when uh, those shows, those TV shows, were in reruns on TV, and and a lot of the films were making their way, on, you know, onto the four thirty movie as the afternoon movie, and and uh, and my father introduced me to to a lot of westerns and kind of instilled a love of the western in me and. Uh, so I've always been attracted to these movies. So my pick is a movie that uh, I heard while I was in the womb uh, because my parents saw it in the theater a few days before I was born uh, in 1968. And uh, I'm talking about Sergio Leone's The Good, The Bad, and The Ugly. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> a, a, I just adore this movie. It's my favorite of the Leone uh, spaghetti westerns. A lot of people uh, would would say a Once Upon a Time in the West is better. Um, I, I disagree. Love, uh, I, I like it. But. I kind of love uh, the middle one, the Lee Van Cleef. More, a few yeah, dollars more. A few dollars more. Because I, I love the watch. Yeah. I mean, I love Good the Band. It's yeah. a great pick. Yeah. Uh, and, and Once Upon a Time in the West. It's is, a classic. Is, it's yes, a classic, right. and that opening scene at the train station is one of the great. Oh. And then Charles Bronson shows up with the harmonica. Oh, it's but, great. It's it's wonderful. I love Once Upon a Time in the West, but I, my, uh, Good, the Bad, and the Ugly. I always I like watching more. Mm. I I think it's super entertaining. You know, it's Clint Eastwood as the bounty hunter, the good, uh, 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 Lee Van Cleef as the. Uh, um, the uh, um, the mercenary, yeah. uh, uh, the bad, and uh, Eli Wallach as the bandit. Yeah, it's so the, great, the ugly, and, and I love. You know, it was interesting. I'm so. Why well, I love that you're picking this is um, if you noticed on War Week, one of our um, listeners uh, posted on Twitter that they felt we should have gone with the good and the bad and the ugly because it was a civil oh, yes. war movie. Yeah, and I, 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 and I was really, I felt. Like we really missed one, you know. Sometimes I feel like, okay, fine, you know, we, well, you know. But... I I don't know if I would consider it a civil war movie. It's a movie that takes place during right. the civil war that involves a a hunt for Confederate gold, you know, gold, uh, and you gold. know they, they intersect with Confederate and Union troops. Although if we'd had uh, Clint Eastwood searches for Gold Week, it would have gone perfectly with, <laughs> with Kelly's, Kelly's heroes. heroes. Yes, yes. <laughs> Clint Eastwood searching for gold. I love it. <laughs> Uh, but no, I I think this this movie is an, is so quotable. Um, you know, uh, uh, there's two kinds of people in this world. You know, the way that dialogue yeah, you know the continues kind of, or the kind with guns and the kind who those dig. with loaded guns, and those who dig. You do, you dig. <laughs> you dig. You know, two kinds two kinds of people in this world: those that come in through the door, those that come in through the window. <laughs> it's so it's super entertaining. Uh, I uh, I actually prefer the theatrical cut to me. The the, the director's cut that's out on Blu-ray now is a bit flabby. Mm-hmm. Um, it's a little indulgent. Yeah, um, but uh, I think it's just a terrifically entertaining sort of deconstructed spaghetti western. You know, called a spaghetti western because they were made by Italians largely in Spain. Hence my Conan shirt, which was also filmed in Spain. That well, was the connection. Uh, 
a spaghetti. It's a minor spaghetti. But you know, they they just embraced the uh, the iconography. Leone embraced the iconography of the Western and sort of subverted it, deconstructed it, and just made this terrific. Uh, uh, movie about this trio of gunslingers tr- you know uh, always trying to get one up on each other to to get see who can get to this gold first and it features for my money my favorite Ennio Morricone score mm-hmm. he's done a lot of great ones but man the ecstasy of gold at the end of that is so terrific when uh, when Tuco is is going through the the sad hill cemetery looking for the the gravestone fabulous the the three-way gunfight at the end with that sort of endless you know intercutting of the huge close-ups and the tension building and building it's well, just think of the late 60s how groundbreaking also that opening credit sequence was too yeah it's yeah just, it's yeah. just, just great combined, yeah um what a fabulous pick i mean it's just a, it's just a great movie i mean all the spaghetti westerns are wonderful that sergio leone was was making um you know uh, um the, the trilogy, of course. I mean, you almost could get away and say the man with no name trilogy mm-hmm. because all three of those movies are fantastic. But of course, Monday is only so long, and so, and, <laughs> and the good, the bad, and the ugly is, is so long. So yeah. long. <laughs> it, 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 yeah, it, I think we're gonna have to preempt the local news today because uh, <laughs> we're gonna be into prime time. Um, what aired on 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 um, on ABC on Monday nights? You remember oh, back I, in the, the day, Scarecrow and Mrs. King. That was CBS. Oh, no. You're was absolutely CBS. right. That was <laughs> that was Monday. Monday was a kind of weekday. If I Cagney yeah. and Lacey, it was Cagney and Lacey. Yeah. I think on CBS. <laughs> uh, I'm trying to remember what was on ABC. I don't. I don't remember. Yeah. I don't remember Monday nights because I, I never watched TV at night. Oh. See, I, I, I like Cagney and Lacey, and, and oddly enough, years later when I was at uh, film school, one of my my favorite professors was the co-creator of Cagney and Lacey. Oh, I was going to say Sharon Glass. <laughs> um, no, that's great. Um, but a fabulous, fabulous pick um, for Monday. So Tuesday, Darren. I've I've uh, gone back and forth about what my pick for Tuesday would be, mm. and because uh, I contagious. I you know I love the classic westerns from you know the forties and fifties. And I, I really enjoy the deconstructionism of uh, the spaghetti westerns. But I think what I'm going to go with is what I think of as the first postmodern western, uh, an attempt to uh, bring back these elements uh, that were loved from when the makers of this uh, saw them as kids. Um, it's 1985's. Silverado. Oh, what a nice, what a nice choice. Uh, Lawrence Kasdan wrote and directed, uh, and it has a cast of hundreds. Mm. (laughs) Well, maybe not that much, (laughs) but all these um, big stars, amazing. Well, not necessarily stars, but but quality actors in all these varied parts. And it's it's just a, a, a listing of actors that we would see for you know twenty to thirty years later. Um, and John it's Klein, it's John so Hayes, much fun. Linda well, Hunt. you know who steals that movie? And what my favorite thing about that is is, is Kevin Costner. Yeah. And it, what happened was Kevin Costner played the dead roommate in The Big Chill. He right. cut him out of the movie. Right. And Kazan said, "I'll make it up to you. I'm going to write you a role." Yeah. And then and it's he wrote great, the perfect role for role. Kevin Costner. Yeah. As Jake, the younger yeah. brother, it made him a star. Uh, to Scott Glenn. My biggest regret with that movie is apparently the studio was not happy and they cut it to shreds. Yeah. And um, there is a version with, where there's a lot more because Jeff Goldblum, Linda Hunt have very small parts. Right. 
there's a much longer movie and it's never been released and it was not it's not on the DVD or the Blu-ray or anything I don't and I would I would really love to see that version of the movie I have a feeling it's pretty awesome I mean you know Brian Dennehy plays the baddie in it and he's so good so he's so good he's so but he's playing it completely straight and normal he's not doing the mustache twirl he's he is right in his mind he is he is correct, and uh, he's just he just differs with Kevin Klein, and they have you know a serious altercation That's right. that happens. Mm-hmm. But he's so cool. And that he's was so that cool. Period when Brian Dennehy was in a lot of shit, and he was basically FX. a big star. FX, yeah. and he was a star yeah, right? yeah. because he was just great. Yep. Because he brought gravitas. Because he brought yeah. like a certain character. You know, whether he was the good guy or the bad guy, like you just like you would just eat him up on screen. Just so much charisma. Completely fantastic. That was back in the day when you say, "Oh, Elizabeth Dennehy on the Best of Both Worlds was Brian Dennehy's daughter." Now you say. Oh, Elizabeth Dennehy's father is Brian Dennehy. Right. Yeah. <laughs> but, uh, you know, it, and, and he he shines in a movie that is filled with other movie stars. Yeah. Yes, Danny Glover. And- oh, my God. It's just so, you know, you go down the list of all these great actors. Jeff Goldblum, mm-hmm. uh, like you mentioned before, is, you know, in his, like, what, three minutes of screen time in the, in the final cut, um, is great. And he has a great character. And... Uh, it's just, it's just. John Cleese shows up for yeah, about yes. ten minutes, and he steals the movie. He yeah. steals the movie. My He's jurisdiction great. ends here. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but it's taking all these sort of, uh, you know, Western tropes and sort of giving them new life and breathing new, uh, fresh air. Unfortunately, it didn't do well at the box it office. It did not do well at all. It flopped. I think the yeah. studio had no idea how to sell this to None. to uh, an audience who had no idea what westerns were. First of all, oh, coming out in the middle of the eighties, you know, yeah. it felt very old. fashioned fashion absolutely uh, and, and it I, is I and that's why i loved out. it yeah. yeah yeah it's funny and you know doing these sort of meta modern takes on the western weren't always easy because silverado does it effortlessly right whereas something like pale rider which, came which out, was I think, at the same time clint eastwood's mm-hmm. right take on shane mm-hmm. is unwatchable it's not unwatchable well, it's not very pale good rider is basically kind of a half-assed it, it, it's, it's shane so, well it's it's also high plains drifter yeah and yeah. it's kind of a sketch for Unforgiven. Mm-hmm. Um, it's like, and it kind of plays like that. Pale Rider plays like, um, like Eastwood is kind of figuring out like what he thinks needs to work in right. something like Unforgiven. I don't know that you could get to Unforgiven without um, Pale Rider, but it Pale Rider had the benefit of having Clint Eastwood in it. Right. Yeah. yeah. You know. Yeah. No, that, that's that's true. Well, and and one another thing I love about Silverado is the score. The score is glorious. glorious. Yeah. Oh, Bruce Brown. So Bruce Brown. Good. Oh, yeah. so what else did he terrific. do? Uh, well, he also did. Um, a young Sherlock Holmes, Sherlock Holmes. Yeah, which yeah. we also Sherlock have Holmes talked and, about uh, admiringly on the show. Yeah, he's yeah. he's just a great he's just a great composer in general. <laughs> yeah, Bruce Broughton's great, really great. Um, great choice. So that's Tuesday. Yeah, that's a great great choice. Um, love that movie. Started the Kingsway with my dad. <laughs> um, Ashley Wednesday. So on Wednesday, I oh, am. Uh, Here it comes now, Con. God damn. <laughs> No, no, no. You've made no, this. You've no. made this situation for yourself, Mr. Miller. Of course, <laughs> I am choosing Hard Day's Night. No, uh, <laughs> what? No. no. Um, seriously, we're going back to Italy. We are going back to Sergio Leone, to my favorite of the Mammoth No Name trilogy, mm-hmm. for a few dollars more. 
Yeah. Okay. Um, you know, at the yeah. time that this movie was released, it, it wasn't as popular. It wasn't considered as good as uh, a fistful of dollars, um, and it was sort of lost with uh, with the release of the good, the bad, and the ugly. But honestly, I think for a few dollars more is 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 the pinnacle of of that series because it is so deeply emotional in such unexpected ways. The premise of it is that um, that Clint Eastwood, the man with no name, Manco. Uh, and Lee Van Cleef, um, who plays Colonel Mortimer, uh, are both bounty hunters, and um, and they are going after uh, this terrible, uh, terrible bandito, uh, Indio. Mm-hmm. Um, and the story of Indio, and this is where things get really interesting, right? Because everything about Indio is is horrible. Um, everything that he does is is horrible. And we know that at one point, like he's he's busted out of jail at the beginning of the movie. But we know that at one point, several years ago. Um, he acquired this musical pocket watch um, from this woman that he was raping, who killed herself in the middle of it. And he is he's haunted by it. He's haunted by his crime. He is haunted by her suicide. Um, he bursts. He just he there are these scenes where he just sits and he just he cries. Um, and it's weirdly affecting. And and the great thing about it is that it, it makes it. It makes it difficult to go black hat and white hat. I mean, look, there's no question that what he did was awful, but it's hard, like as just a as just a cinematic exercise, not to empathize with him when we watch him in terms of just the pain and the weird PTSD and all of this other shit. So, so we've got that right, and then what we've got, other than kind of all the machinations of the heist and all this other stuff, is this is this very personal mystery at the heart of this story. Where what you find out is that Colonel Mortimer is after Indio um, for some very specific personal vengeance-related reasons, which don't become fully clear until the very end of the film, um, when uh, Mortimer and Indio get into it, right? And Indio has this thing where when he has a gunfight with you, he flips open the musical pocket watch and it plays its song, and when the song is done, then you shoot. So in the fight with Mortimer... He takes Mortimer's belt and his gun, and now Indio has nothing. I'm sorry, and Mortimer has nothing, and Indio puts the musical pocket watch down. Now we start, and the music starts to play, and Mortimer has no gun, but he's Lee Van Cleef, and he's a badass, right? (laughs) And he's just, he's, you know, if, if this is how he goes out, this is how he goes out. And then just as the music begins to fade, the music starts up again. And there's the man with no name, Clint Eastwood, and he's holding another musical pocket watch. It's a pocket watch that he stole from Colonel Mortimer. And what you realize is that the woman who haunts Indio was Mortimer's sister. And Clint Eastwood takes that pocket watch, he puts it down, he hands Mortimer his gun, steps back, and he says, now we start. And Mortimer wins the uh, wins the duel um, and, and kills Indio. Um, and it's just, it is this beautiful, wrenching moment that just moves me every single time. And the thing that's amazing about the music in this movie is not just that, look, Ennio Morricone is is a genius no matter what he does. But what he does in this film is he takes music, and there's like technical terms for this shit, and I wish I knew more about it. But, you know- the, Lucas he, Kendall, line five. <laughs> right? Uh, you know, he, he takes the music that is a part of the scene. Source music yeah. versus and And it's music. like there's diegenic yeah. and something. Yeah. And, it's, yeah. and and he, he he blends that into the music of the scene. So like the musical pocket watch turns like into this yeah. sweeping orchestral moment. Right. But it's not like 
the the score is telling us what to feel. It's not like the score is doing Sergio Leone's job for him because the visuals are supporting it. It is such a beautiful marriage of, of sound and visual and writing and acting. I mean, these guys have miles and years etched on their faces and they all have pain. And it's just, it's a beautiful, beautiful movie. I cannot recommend it highly enough. No, I mean, I, I truly love that movie as well. And and I think part of the reason I, that I like it better than The Good, The Bad, and The Ugly is only because um, I love Lee Van Cleef in that movie. Mm-hmm. And when he comes back in Good, The Bad, and The Ugly is a scumbag, I sort of always <laughs> hated that. Mm-hmm. Uh, but uh, but it's uh, the stopwatch. I mean, and, and, anyway, there's probably no... Uh, composer that we associate more with the movies than John, you know, John Williams is Enio and John Williams. You know, Star Wars. You can't imagine Star Wars without that John Williams score. Close Encounters without that John Raiders without that John Williams score. The Spaghetti Westerns you can't imagine without that Enio Marconi score. Right. And um, uh, those are both, you know, sensational uh, choices. I, I mean, it's a fan- and I think it's the shortest of the films too. So I would recommend if somebody's going to watch these for the first time, they probably should watch them in order. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, you know, the Man With No Name trilogy and build up to a Good, the Bad, and the Ugly rather than, you know, watching for, you know, Fistful, you watch Fistful of Dollars, watch for a few dollars more than watch Good, the Bad, and the Ugly and then watch Once Upon a Time in the West. Yeah, I, yeah. I've always really liked that movie as well. I, I always preferred it to uh, Fistful of Dollars and um, it's it's interesting, those three films were all released in the United States in the same year. Um, and Good, the Bad, and the Ugly was not very well received by critics, but it did very well at the, at the box office. Um, and it's just a, a terrific trilogy. box set of all of them, and I was home with the flu, and it was the first time I ever watched them. I had never seen them before, <laughs> and I watched them all you know, over the course of a week, and I was just like, oh, my God, these movies are great. And was it Fistful of Dollars based on... Um, Red Harvest and uh, uh, Sanjuro, Yojimbo, Yojimbo, yeah. which was kind of Red Harvest, which he um, comes back to a couple of times in his career. Clint yeah, does for sure. Yeah. I like to think of um, of the good, the bad, and the ugly as kind of the only live tw- you only live twice of uh, of Man <laughs> with No Name movies. Ah, you know, like where it, it well maybe that really isn't the, well that's that's when it begins to go bananas in the in the James Bond movies. It's and I love the good, the bad, and the ugly. Don't get me wrong. But yeah. suddenly it becomes this much it's bigger huge. thing. Yeah. Huge scope. And yeah. there's like fighting in the background and like there's armies and shit. Yeah. And like literal you know, casts of thousands. Exactly. Yeah. It's like you half expect the team of ninjas to drop in at any time. And um it is it's so and like over the top in a great way, but it never loses all the stuff that we love about the man with no name. But I, I love what Morricone does with sound and you Mentioned yeah. that with the, the pocket watch in that film, he does some great stuff in Good, the Bad, and the Ugly as well. Where you know, I'm thinking of a, the scene where Eastwood is uh, sitting in his hotel room and his revolver is disassembled on the table in front of him, and he's cleaning it while the uh, Eli Wallach and his assassins are creeping up on him, but he can't hear them coming because this this column of Confederate soldiers is marching through the town, and then suddenly they're called to a halt, and he hears a single spur jingle coming from the hallway, and that 
moment of tension where he's racing to reassemble his revolver before the assassins burst in on him is just wonderful. And of course, followed by, you know, he gets the Clint gets the drop on the uh, the gang, but only to discover that uh, Eli Wallach has come in the window behind him, saying, "You know, there's two kinds of spurs: those that come in through the door and those that come in through the window." See, I, I'm just kind of shocked because I th- was sure that Ashley was going to say "Once Upon a Time in the West" because, of course, it it starred Henry Fonda, aka Henry Ford, who we know <laughs> he's so fond of. Uh, he's, he's, fond of he's fond of Ford. Ford. <laughs> <laughs> so that, that comes to surprise. But uh, but another, uh, you know, so far, what a sensational week of movies, huh? It's up to me to ruin it. We're only through Wednesday. Only through Wednesday. So what are we going to watch on Thursday? Well, I I, I think there's only one choice for Thursday. Outland. No. (laughs) (laughs) No, no, not Outland. You know, I I will say, you know, look, one of my absolute favorite Westerns of all time is John Surge's The Magnificent Seven. But because Bill Goldman passed away today, Mm. I'm going to have to go with my second favorite Western, which is Butch Cassidy and the Sundance Kid. Mm Brilliantly written by the late Bill Goldman, mm-hmm. um, it, it 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 lives in that world between the John Ford westerns and the meta westerns of Silverado. Mm-hmm. It's very much a product of its time in the '60s, deconstructing right. the western myth. But uh, you know, it is that amazing uh, um, two-hander of um, Robert Redford mm-hmm. and Paul Newman, Ted Cassidy. Uh, yeah. You know, Ruck. Um, and uh, <laughs> for those of you at home uh, uh, who haven't seen what a little girl's made of, and are we ready for our luminous and, yeah. and sheer luminosity, blinding luminosity in um, in Catherine Ross? Mm-hmm. Yeah, sure. Um, uh, just, uh, <laughs> I mean, as, as the love interest of the Sundance Kid, it, this movie is so funny and tragic and... Um, just brilliantly written. And it's self-aware. Yeah, very, very self-aware. And who are those guys? You know, yeah. super posse. Is, and they've robbed a couple of uh, cars, uh, train cars, and um, they decide that they're, uh, the, the company, the bank that, that's being the, 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 the E.J. E. E. Harriman decides he's going to send out a super posse <laughs> to chase them down. And most of the movie is about is the super Lord posse. <laughs> you know, all these great mercenary bounty hunters, everybody but Boba Fett is on there. Yeah. The Mandalorian is on their trail. And it is so great. And, of course, there's that classic scene where they jump off the waterfall and, you know, Robert Redford doesn't want to do it. And he says, why? You know, I, because I don't know how to swim. Yeah. Well, don't matter. The fall will probably kill you. Uh, I mean, it's, it's so great. And um, a beautiful score. Um, you know, I'm not talking about the song, Raindrops Are Falling in My Head, that's fine. It really captures, uh, it's wistful about the, the death of an era. Here's the motorcycle and, and uh, the, the Model T are coming in, replacing the, uh, and of course, the guys realize that the frontier is disappearing and there's no place for people like them, and so they move to Bolivia, um, where they feel they can get a new start. But, you know, reinventing yourself isn't that easy, no matter how far you run. And, uh, it's just a magnificent, magnificent movie. And I, I uh, never thought a Western could be funny in that way. I mean, obviously, I had seen you know the Mel Brooks uh, uh, Western, Blazing, Blazing, Saddles, Blazing Saddles, but this is a different kind of comedy. And uh, I think this was maybe one, maybe the first movie that I read the screenplay for before I saw it. Mm-hmm. I read the screenplay that was published in William Goldman's Adventures in the Screen sure. Trade, the and, seminal tome, which everyone writers. should read yeah. if they haven't. It. It's a fantastic book, Adventures in the Screen Trade. 
And uh, I read that screenplay at the in the back of the book after reading it, and I'm like this is really great. And I, I think I went to the cinema library in, at USC and threw on the laser disc and watched it. Um, a really wonderful film, yeah. It's yeah, definitely I mean, a top you know, ten western for me too. Yeah, you know, there are a couple of sort of for us, you know, for the three of us that are writers, there are a couple of legendary figures, uh, you know, W. R. Burnett, Robert Town. But, you know, probably looming, you know, first and foremost among all the giants is is, is Bill Goldman. So mm-hmm. it was a real loss when he, he passed away today. And just somebody that we can all learn so much and only hope to be half as good or, you know, uh, as, as he was. It's it's really, um, you know, and it's just it's just an amazing movie. I'm just like, you know, even if he hadn't died, it probably should be my pick. It's just I, I've always loved Butch Cassidy and Sunday's Kid. Mm-hmm. I, you know, it, it, it passes. We've talked about this before. The Godfather test. You know, where if it's on TV, you, just watch it. you know, I can't turn it off. Um, and I, I was really delighted to find because it was in my, you know, in addition to having the Blu-ray, I have the uh, the digital version on my iTunes. And it, you know, basically was recently kicked up, kicked up to 4K. Mm. And it's not available on 4K Blu-ray. But, um, uh, you know, Fox has done a really good job with some of the library. And I just like, it was like, oh, my God, Butch Cassidy is 4K now on my, my, on my <laughs> Apple TV. This is awesome. So it makes it even more fun to watch. Um, so I highly, highly recommend uh, Butch Cassidy and Sunday's Kid. And, you know, it was tough because Magnificent Seven was the, the, the Western, my go-to Western as a kid. I would always watch on TV mm-hmm. when it was on, and it was on a lot. Um, but uh, but I'm really glad. I, I, I'm, I have Bush no regrets. And Sunday, it does not feel old-fashioned. It doesn't feel stuffy. It's just a very light on its feet entertaining George Roy solid movie and it's, yeah. it, the direction is super modern yeah. the cinematography by Connie Hall yeah. uh, you know again is textbook you know if you talk about Goldman being textbook for anybody who's interested in cinematography or you know any member you know uh, the ASC I mean you know Connie Hall's uh, um, uh, cinematography is, 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 is the stuff that you know a semester is made of of, yeah. of film film classes uh, so and it's not medicine you know, even no. when we keep talking about this is the template for you know screenwriting, for cinematography, for directing, you know, it all tastes really great. <laughs> <laughs> and it's less filling. <laughs> tastes great. Less filling. Tastes, tastes great. great. Less filling. Bob Uecker. Oh, <laughs> that was sports night. Um, so, okay. So that was Thursday. That takes us to Friday. This is going to be a bloodbath. So many. <laughs> so you don't like my Outland suggestion? No. Well, then try this on for size. I actually kind of like Outland. But... Outland. I do, too. Yep. Outland um, ripped off this movie, mm-hmm. High, High, noon. Noon. High, noon. High Noon. And High Absolutely. Noon is not only, you know, again, a staple of television's uh, past growing up, but a very important film. Mm-hmm. Carl For- Foreman, um, Stanley Kramer, who produced it, um, Fred Zimmerman, who directed it, uh, you know, making a statement against the blacklist, you know, a man abandoned by his friend who stands alone to do what's right. And, uh, uh, you know, Gary Cooper, who there's no more sort of, you know, other than John Wayne, you know, uh, who American icon. But um, the fact is, John Wayne was a super conservative who did a lot of horrible things. Uh, uh, whereas, you know, Gary Cooper, you know, was conservative, but he did a lot of r- things right by people. And a really great man, really great actor. And um, it, it's a very special film shot here in town on the uh, what it was then the MGM lot. 
and now the Sony lot. And in fact, you see that big boom up at the end. You can see the electrical lines and telephone poles in the distance that didn't oh. exist. <laughs> so this big you know, boom up into the wide master. And, and it's kind of like, oh, where where'd those come from? Well, that's Culver City. <laughs> that's the Sagebrush Cantina. Well, that's not there anymore. Um, but um, it's just such a special film. Mm-hmm. And uh, Lloyd Bridges is in it. And and. Uh, I, I, I got to find a word other than luminous because Grace Kelly breaks the luminous meter and like goes beyond luminosity to just a whole nother world. <laughs> the of... candle power of that woman. <laughs> yeah. uh, I mean, I, I loved Grace Kelly. It's like the top of the Luxor, um, only different. You know, not my favorite Grace Kelly role, but still um, she is, uh, you know, she's great in it. Um, the villain, Frank Miller, is, uh, you know. No yeah. relation. No relation. <laughs> the Dark Knight returns <laughs> to fight Gary Cooper. Um, it's 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 short. It's a super short movie. Yeah. You know the whole conceit of it taking place in real time. Uh, uh, you know you're waiting for Kiefer to show up at the end as uh, <laughs> the clock ticks down to to new. Great score by Dimitri Tiomkin. Um, there's a wonderful book about the making of High Noon that came out a year or two ago, which I highly recommend, and and uh, it deals a lot with the blacklist and and Carl Foreman and Stanley Kramer, and it's a really really great book about the making of the movie. If you're a fan of High Noon, I really recommend that book. I forget exactly what it's called, but you can look it up online and and see. In fact, maybe I'll do that. Um, but yeah, High Noon is something I would recommend. I mean, there's a whole just off the top of my head, like I could just. Give you a, a a ginormous list. Like, well, what are some? Um, okay, so Red River. Yes. Um, you know, it's uh, it's it's definitely a different sort of western than the kind that that we've been talking about. It's about a cattle drive, and it's about you know all the things that sort of happen along the, the way. Um, but the action is amazing. Um, it's beautifully shot, uh, and it's just a great film. Um, the Searchers, mm, right? Yeah, the well, Searchers is cannot a have a John Ford movie on this list, right? Absolutely not, and. You know, John Ford, what he does with that movie is actually quite subversive because the 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 premise of that film is that John Wayne plays a character whose daughter is taken after his family is killed when the, I think it's, is it the Apaches who attack? Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, he goes off looking for his daughter. Jeffrey Hunter, isn't it? Jeffrey Hunter, Captain Pike. Uh, really? Is Jeffrey Hunter <laughs> played Captain Pike? <laughs> yes. Yeah. Right? Well, some of these people who we can't see don't know. <laughs> uh, they go off looking for her, but what you what you discover very early on is is John Wayne's intention when he finds her is to kill her because um, he does not want her to be sullied uh, by the Apaches. So there's a there's actually it's not just wow it's great to see you again, Dad. But like but when they do get reunited, spoiler alert, the suspense is what is he going to do? And the beautiful thing about the movie is is that the journey has taken him to a place where he embraces her, where he is you know. Well, they're father. looking for her for years. Yes. So they've all changed. Dramatically, in the time that it's taken to find her, and you know, he says, you know, as far as the turning of the earth, you know, I'm going to find her, and you get, you know, he basically is on a mission of revenge. He to him, she's dead already, you know, whether she's alive, whether the Apaches have killed her or not. You know, for Jeffrey Hunter, it's about finding her and bringing her home. Yep. So they have two very different agendas. Uh, There is, um, I mean, in the this is sort of a a fluff piece but I enjoy it Hang Him High which I think was was it Ted Post or um, yeah, I think it was Ted Post yeah who also directed uh, The Gauntlet yeah I like uh, High Plains Drifter better oh I love High oh, Plains, Plains Drifter yeah. it is so bananas it's like basically it's a man with no name movie except that there's this this town um, where they all essentially conspire to kill the sheriff and like when the man with no name 
no name literally in this case shows up and he kind of takes over the town it's very surreal it's almost Fellini-esque um, I mean there's even a dwarf uh, it's just it's crazy and awesome can I I want to say one thing to our millennial audience because they're going to watch the searchers and be very offended by the treatment of Native Americans and they're going to say you know how could they recommend this or this is you know anus and you know it should be banned or whatever the reality is this movie is a product of its time. By watching it, you're not endorsing that depiction of Native Americans. You are not in somehow complicit an act of barbarism because you're watching this movie. The, you know, it is a product of its time, and um, it is a great work of art. And um, it's the same reason that if you watch Triumph of the Will, that doesn't make you a Nazi. And, you know, I know there's a lot, particularly in colleges these days, where people feel like, you know, we should suppress things we disagree with or that we have outgrown. And, uh, you know, a lot, particularly in Westerns, you'll find a lot of that. There's a lot of, you know, depictions that are very unfortunate and through the lens of today are very racist. But, you know, we can't pretend... Neo-Maoist long march through the studio back catalog? Yeah. <laughs> but that was better put than I would have put it. So, yes. Yeah, so a let's, a let's denial of the past is not going to help the future. And those who forget right. the past are condemned to repeat it, which is uh, Santiana, of course. So, uh, uh, a stylistically very different film, um, but awesome. Kind of one of the best siege movies ever made. Uh, Rio Bravo. Yes. Oh, John Carpenter's favorite movie. Yep, absolutely. He essentially remade it with Assault on Precinct 13. Right. Um there is we talked about High Plains Drifter. Um, you know, there obviously we have to talk about Unforgiven, but I, I almost like bookmark that. Yeah. that and kind of come yeah. back to Unforgiven. Um, we talked a bit about Pale Rider. I mean, look, we didn't talk about Shane though. No, Sh- and look, Shane, Shane lad, is great. Yeah. You know, Brandon DeWild, and of course, uh, the the you know Jack Palance is one of the most loathsome. You know, the man of one arm push up fame. And, uh, uh, Jim Mangold loved that movie so much. Uh, that he, he makes it a big, you know, thing in uh, in, in, in Logan. In Logan, yep. Um, and which reminds that. me that his favorite movie, and it's also great, also Clint Eastwood, is The Outlaw Josie Wales. Oh, right? yeah. My problem with, with Logan, and I love Logan, is that in Shane, Shane saves the family. Yeah. In Logan, <laughs> Logan does not save the family. And I felt that was the biggest misstep of that movie. I don't think, you know, uh, it, it's tough when your hero fails that, Oh, he fails completely. Yeah, yeah, and and uh, and you really care about those characters. And again, I'm not dissing Logan because I think it's probably you know it's a really extraordinary film, and 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 uh, it, it's great. But um, but I felt like that was really a mistake. But anyway, that's me. That's I want to I want to mention a couple different ones that I have on my list. Um, one of the one of the earlier entries, and certainly uh, one of uh, John Wayne's earliest, Stagecoach. Yeah, it's my list too. I love stagecoach. Stage he's so fun in that. Yeah, he's yeah. not the icon or the legend right. yet. He he hasn't been weighted down by experience. The Ringo Kid. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Um, it's uh, it's it's really exciting. It's riveting. It's it's a it's a little um, what's the word? Uh, unformed. Yeah. It's it's not it's not a slick film by any stretch of the imagination, but it is uh, it is. Well told, and it has a uh, a very you know uh, forward moving direction, and it's uh, it's it's very exciting and interesting. It's it nice. has one of the great stunts of all time that inspired oh, Raiders. Also, that's correct. Right. Which is, yeah, 
when he jumps the onto transfer, the stage yeah. coach, from stagecoach mm-hmm. to stagecoach, yep. and then, you know, and this with live horses and yeah. mm-hmm. you know all kinds of stuff going on, and none of the safety precautions or harnesses or things that we have now. It's it, no certainly no CGI. It's it's pretty awesome. Yeah, it's um, never not entertaining. It, exactly, and that's and that's why it's on my list. And on the other end of that list is Spectre uh, of the Gun. Another <laughs> another post Post-hot certainly yeah. postmodern western. Dances with Wolves. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Um, which basically tells, you know, this Western story from the other side mm-hmm. and uh, tells about the encroachment of the frontier by the white man from the Native American's mm-hmm. point of view. It's a great movie. Great John Barry score, too. You know, for, for John Barry scores, it's one of the best. I, I, re- oh, I, <laughs> I still vividly remember seeing this movie at the Universal City uh, theaters up there at City Walk because I was loving the movie so much, but I had to pee like you would not believe. And But I didn't want to leave the theater because I hate leaving a movie in progress, especially one that I love this. I was really enjoying. And it felt like that movie had like four endings because it, <laughs> yeah. it, it would sort of fade out. Like, okay, I finally go pee. And then it would fade back up and like more awesome stuff well, would happen. Well, you could have always taken the Maury Chaikin route and pissed in your pants and no one can do it anymore. <laughs> <laughs> so, I, but, and I find, finally the movie ended and I, I you know, I loved it. But I, and I'm then you were stuck in a line. To the bathroom, like kind of half crouched, bent over. And that was an ugly getting into the Getting into the stall. And I had to go so bad I couldn't go. <laughs> I no. said whatever happened. I don't know. And he doesn't know That's how the horrible. movie ended. It's amazing. No, but I, uh, Put a, that in a, your book. A fabulous movie. <laughs> a couple yeah, of, Dance with Wolves. Yeah, so great. Hey, I got I got a few. Oh, uh, go ahead, I, please, uh, my my runners up, and this was a really hard list for me. I'm sure it was because there are so many great ones. Um, Little Big Man, mm-hmm. Arthur Penn's movie starring Dustin Hoffman and Faye Dunaway. Uh, another film about a. Uh, a, uh, a guy who uh, falls in with uh, a Native American tribe and you really see, you know, their side of the story about what's happening in the West. Just a beautifully made movie. Uh, so sort of funny. It kind of deconstructs the Western with uh, Dustin Hoffman going through his gunslinger period and his gambler period and all that sort of thing. And then, um, you know, being adopted into this tribe and, and the rivalry with the other young uh uh, warriors uh, in the tribe, and you know, culminating with uh, the Battle of Little Bighorn. You know, he Dustin Hoffman ends up as a scout for General Custer, who's this total blowhard in it. Uh, just a really entertaining, but also sort of wistful, sad, wonderful uh, movie. Um, of course, The Magnificent Seven. We can't just talk about westerns without mentioning the Magnus and Seven. I'm sure that was on the tip of your tongue. John Sturges, it's it's uh, Yul talk Brenner. about an iconic score, iconic cast. Well, it's so iconic that Yul Brenner comes back in Westworld as basically Chris <laughs> from the Magnus and Seven as a villain. Just you know, a, a movie that if you know, it's it's one of those movies that's so famous, maybe you haven't seen it. See it. It's just as entertaining. You know, We're talking about the original Magnuson Seven, the original not, Magnus, not the yes. Anton Fuqua remake. No, yeah, the original, of course, based on uh, you know Kurosawa's Seven Samurai film. Uh, I think a more entertaining version of that story, Seven Samurai, it's is so a, great. Is and Eli Wallach also, is part but, of why that movie works so oh, well as the villain. It's so good. You know, it's like there's so little religion uh, left in the world that yeah. I can see for myself. Don't see. Do. And a, a movie that I was not expecting to like when it came out, but I ended up loving it. It was the it was the the year of the dueling 
Uh, uh, um, I know where you're going. No, the Wyatt Earp movies. Wyatt Wyatt Earp movies, and I expected Wyatt Earp in the in the wake of uh, Dance with Wolves to be the great one. But no, it was Tombstone. Tombstone is so good. Which is so entertaining. And so quotable. Val Kilmer as Doc Holliday is just, he is perfect. Um, Actually, the history in that movie is actually fairly good. The real Mm -hmm. gunfight at the OK Corral, it's like um, Ike Clanton shows up and he doesn't have a gun. And he's like, I don't have a gun. And Wyatt Earp grabs him and throws him behind him. He says, well, get out of the way. Like, And that's why Ike Clanton like survives that fight and just... That movie Walter is Koenig so great. Walter Koenig was great in that. <laughs> Inspector of the Gun. Um, you know, the, uh, uh, oh my God, Michael Bean. What a cast. Yeah, oh, Michael Bean, so uh, of course. Uh, there is a and hole no in his heart and he cannot be. kill it's enough like, or drink enough and, and to fill Deep it. Star 6 had come out and Deep Star 6 had been better than The Abyss. Yeah. It, it, it was like, you know, with Wyatt Earp, which oh, was Lawrence Kasdan yeah. and Kevin Costner and everyone expected that to be like this it big had thing. all the and pedigree. It, yeah. And then it was Tombstone. It was the Dante's Peak versus Volcano. It was the same way that Volcano was like sort of more entertaining than Dante's Peak. It's such a, uh, it's a popcorn movie that just fires in all cylinders. And it's about still Holds something. Up. Yeah. It is about something. No, I mean, just the, the death of Doc Holliday when he looks down at his feet. Mm-hmm. Is, isn't this funny? Well, mm-hmm. I mean, a couple others. Uh, 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 you know, more recently, the assassination of Jesse James. Oh, yeah, that Howard, Her- oh. Howard Harold Ford. Yeah. <laughs> but it, one, that coward, one of the most beautiful Gerald looking. What? <laughs> one of the most beautiful looking westerns ever. And that's saying yes. a lot. Um, I recently Sisters Brothers came out this year I wanted to see that terrific movie I love both versions of 310 to Yuma the original with Glenn Ford and the remake the James Mangold remake I think they're both really great Um, True Grit and True Grit yeah Yeah. both versions of True Grit Um, Hateful Eight yes and Django Unchained but you know the thing you know why I wouldn't say the Hateful Eight and I love the Hateful Eight because it's a stage play inside well no because it should be seen in theater it shouldn't be seen on TV you should watch it in scope I Uh, disagree really yeah Oh, I love because what? it all plays in this one room. Not the first twenty minutes. Yeah, but the first twenty minutes have no bearing on anything. Ah, I love it. <laughs> I, you know, I agree. It's beautiful, but it 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 could be a stage play and work it equally well. I I I I just I I love the whole experience of seeing it in scope and in the theater and with the. I just, Let's just agree we love the hateful eight. But we do. Sure. We, I, I absolutely I love the hateful eight. Um, Robert Altman's McCabe and Mrs. Miller. Oh, no relation. Yes. Um, <laughs> You're no, not related to Mrs. Miller. No or McCabe. Yeah. No and kind. we should mention, for, interject for just one moment to mention that we've disqualified the Wild Bunch. Yes, yeah. I'm glad you said right. that. Discussion. We love the Wild Bunch. It's a masterpiece, but we already discussed it in a previous. There's so many other Peckinpah films, though. Yeah. You know, and, and uh, you know, there's, there's Pat Garrett and Billy the Kid. Yeah. For yes. all you Bob Dylan fans out there. Um, and, uh, you know, so many great things. But I want to talk to you specifically, Steve, because I, I don't know if these guys I, will know. I think I know what you're going to you say. You do know. I was going to talk about those great Randolph Scott movies, the, the, Bud, 90s, the Bud Bedecker Randolph films. Randolph Scott. And, you know, this would be a real tough one for me because you have the great Seven Men from Now with Lee Marvin, mm-hmm. you know, which is terrific. But then there's, the, you know, these were these low-budget westerns with Randolph Scott that Bud Bedecker made a bunch of them. They're, They're super short. They're, They're like 70, 70 minutes, minutes long. Minutes, yeah. The Tall T, you have Richard Boone as the villain. Uh, and then Ride Lonesome, Richard which Boone I love, Westworld. with Karen Steele, who was uh, from Mud's Women. No. 
Uh, they're all, you know, oh, yeah. I let De- decision I, at sundown. I, yeah, but decision Buchanan at sundown and Buchanan rides alone yeah. are are not as good. Like to me, Comanche Station. Comanche like. Station's good. Yeah, I love Comanche Station. Actually, we should have a conversation going at the De- same De- time. Decision, decision, <laughs> decision at sundown and Buchanan rides along. Not so great. But boy, Comanche Station, Tall T, Ride Lonesome, and Seven, seven men, men From, from now, now, so great. And they're probably if you watch them all in a row. Le- the running time is probably less than the good, the bad, and the other. I will say, <laughs> I have seen, uh, look, I thought of myself as like a Western maven. Like, I know my Westerns, and I have seen none of those. So I want to see like a list. There's a so DVD I- box set of the okay. Boddicker Westerns that includes all of those except for Seven Men from Now. Right, which is sold Paramount. separately. They're, they're fabulous. Now, this is sort of like, you remember years ago, you might not. Um, there are a bunch of Hitchcock movies that were out of circulation for a while, like Rear Window, Vertigo, because the estate owned them, and then Universal finally made a deal to release them in theaters, and then they got rediscovered. It was kind of like this. The John Wayne estate owned all these, but for some reason. He's not in them, had nothing to do with them, but I think they funded them. Oh, so yeah. they controlled the rights to these Westerns. And I guess it was about 10 years ago, maybe a little more, that they finally went back into circulation. They were rediscovered. Martin Scorsese introduces them on the DVD. Mm. We saw Seven Men from Now in Telluride, and it was a freaking revelation. Never heard of Bud Bedecker. I knew Randolph Scott, but hadn't really loved any of his movies, Uh, even though, what's the one that Jerry Goldsmith did the score for that everybody loves? Um, Yeah. yeah. yeah, Anyway, so, but... um, it was uh, it was a it's revelation. A great theme song. Did we were singing it all weekend. Seven men. <laughs> Did Randolph Scott do the first Last of the Mohicans? Or am I crazy? He might have. I don't, I don't remember. I don't know. But okay, Friday. You know, guy. You know, I want to Mohicans. mention uh, Three last Amigos, uh, a guilty no. pleasure yeah, of mine. I love the Three Blazing Amigos. Saddles. Oh, you mentioned Blazing, Blazing Saddles. Saddles. And, uh, oh. and then you know we we haven't circled back to Unforgiven. Yes, yet. we haven't. Um, which my God is like, uh, it is. It was a masterpiece. It's it totally a masterpiece. And it was written like in the 1970s, and Eastwood got it and he put it in a drawer and he kept it mm. until he was old enough to play that role. And he right. took it out wow. and he shot it essentially as written. Mm-hmm. Um, Screenwriter just, Blade Runner, it's worth noting. 100%. And it just, it marinated I, for, for all of that time in his mind. And it became an expression of everything that he had to say and that he had said, um, you know, with his, with his Western films. Um, the, the character journey of William Money. Um, mm-hmm. you, when we meet him, we're told that he was a man, you know, who drank too much and he killed too much and just uh, everything. But then he met a he met a good woman, mm-hmm. and she settled him down. You know, he found religion. You know, and he stopped swearing and he stopped drinking, um, and he stopped killing. And then one day, after she's gone, uh, a young man, uh, Jamie Wolvett, shows up um, and brings him along on a kill. And what happens next between um, Clint Eastwood? And Gene Hackman is total gold. And the moment that you know uh, Morgan Freeman is along for the ride, and and Morgan Freeman is 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 captured and he's killed, and they put his body out in front of like the 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 tavern or whatever the hell you call it, and the the saloon, saloon, (laughs) and um, playing too much D and D, and and you know Jamie Wolvett and Clint Eastwood are sitting up in this hill and they're they're looking down, and Jamie Wolvett, who'd been he's a kid, right, who is so excited about this about this gig, about this job, about doing this, right, about becoming a killer, like the reality of it. Is just hitting him. He, and didn't he is have having a, taste a breakdown. For it. Yeah. Um, and that wonderful scene. It's like you know. Do you think we got he? You know. You think we got it coming? And and, and you know. Clint Eastwood says, "We've all got it coming, kid." kid. We've all got it coming. But oh. cinematically, 
it's it's a brilliant moment because he's sitting there as like Jamie Wolvett is talking all the stuff and he's unscrewing his bottle of bourbon mm-hmm. and he right. realizes what's going to happen when he takes a swig oh shit as and those then, ominous storm clouds are gathering uh, on the horizon behind him it's, it's absolutely perfect. stunning you do not worry that Clint Eastwood is going to die in this movie yeah. you worry that the beast has been unleashed and wow is he it's fantastic I've killed women and children oh. I've killed everything that walks or crawls at one time or another and I'm here to kill, kill you, you little Bill yep. oh. what you done to Ned Gene Hackman was is such a great villain in this movie he, yes. you know an anti-hero or anti I don't know what you'd call but you know him, who man. else is Great, Richard Harris oh, is English oh, Bob. Yeah. English oh, Bob. Oh my yeah. God! Oh. And it's all the myth of the West, which is completely mm-hmm. deconstructed. Which is why I I, I think Unforgiven's our movie for Friday. I agree. But I think I think the only thing that can knock it off, and I don't think it will, but I got to put it out there. We haven't talked about it. Is the Man Who Shot Liberty Valance? I love Man Who Shot mm-hmm. Liberty Valance, but I I think that Unforgiven speaks more to both the future of westerns and the history of westerns. Okay. And Great. it's it's gravitas in itself makes it the choice. I for mean, Friday I love the whole mind. message of Liberty Valance, print the legend, not uh-huh. the reality. You know, there's so much relevance sure. that it's a great Jimmy Stewart's great in that. Yeah, uh, absolutely. Lee Marvin's amazing, but. Uh, I, I, but Eastwood I, did for, the score for Unforgiven too, didn't he? Did no, he it was ja- wasn't no. Jack Nietzsche his usual guy? Or yeah. No, oh, okay. Or who was it? Let's let's a beautiful see. guitar score. I mean, it's just. Haunting let's and, see. And, uh, let's see. Just to make sure. I thought Eastwood Composer is no Lenny Niehaus. Okay. That was his oh, usual guy. Niehaus. Yeah. So look, I, I, we all agree. Friday, Unforgiven. I love it. I mean, it's three I'm Eastwood in... movies in a week. But wow, you know that's what? a lot. Eastwood is. I gotta say, that's the a lot. Of a lot of Eastwood and no John Wayne. Sorry, um, John. Sorry, sorry Pilgrim. John. And no Lee Marvin. You know, the, here's the thing. I mean, what, no Cat There are so many great. Mm-hmm. Westerns. It's like and I know cities come back to this. <laughs> no place <Clifton> again. Little. <laughs> if westerns are truly life from lifelessness, no, we will look, I think this. we will go west. Maybe we'll go east. Too. I don't know. Um, Steve, Monday. Monday was oh the good, the bad, and the ugly. Tuesday, Silverado. Wednesday, for a few dollars more. Thursday, Butch Cassidy and the Sundance Kid. And Friday mm. is Unforgiven. This has been Go West Week. Western Week on the 4.30 movie. And partners, will be back next Friday oh with an all-new <laughs> episode of the 4.30 movie. <laughs> yeah. Wherever you listen to podcasts, brother. Meanwhile. Wow. What? What, a, what character is that? That's amazing. <laughs> I don't think I've ever heard a voice like that ever. Meanwhile, we hope. Oh my goodness. Okay, I'm done with that. Meanwhile, we hope you all check out our sister shows, Inglorious Trexperts, the Ultimate Star Trek Podcast, and Disco Nights, a celebration of Star Trek Discovery, featuring host Chase Masterson and her special guests. Meanwhile, does that make them special? Absolutely. I don't know. Meanwhile, if you want to check out previous episodes of the 430 Movie or purchase some of our fantastic 430 Movie logo wear like Steve's wearing right now and the theater of the mind, you can go to the uh, 430movie.com website or you can suggest future theme weeks or tell us how we messed up at Twitter. There's so many Westerns. I, I, I can't wait to see what everyone has to tell us we missed. It's always interesting to see the response on social media to like, oh, how come you didn't mention this or that? Or It's, it's always interesting. It'll be interesting to see. And tell us if we have too much Eastwood in our Westerns. <laughs> you know, I think, I, think we, I think instead of going west, we went eastward. Yeah. Um, it was almost eastward week. So, uh, yeah. But um, you can follow us on Twitter, 
Uh, you can also follow us at Facebook and YouTube at 430 Movie. And uh, if you're feeling really generous, please go to Apple Podcasts and rate us five stars. There's a pot of gold waiting for you there. <laughs> um, <laughs> finally, uh, uh, again, a very special thanks to uh, Bill Ritter and, and Natalie Mascali here at uh, Electric Studios for making this show possible. And until next week, on behalf of... Whoever the hell little we are. little hey. Steven. <laughs> oh no, that's the East Street Band. Can't be little Steven. Uh, you know, you know, English Steven. Six <laughs> Steve. Dangerous Darren. Ashmaster Zero. <laughs> and Cowboy Mark. Thanks for joining us here on the Four Thirty Movie. See and you on down the I, trail. See you on down the trail. <laughs> Eyewitness News starts now. This episode is brought to you by Omni Consumer Products, OCP. Good business is where you find it. Makers of the ED-206 Urban Pacification System. Big is back because big is better. And the 6000 SUX, an American tradition. This podcast is a production of the Electric Surge Network.